that's funnier to some people than it is others. Uh, recently, I decided to take on a home improvement project. Uh, there are these uh, strips that go on the floor between the carpet of our living room and hallway and the uh, laminate flooring that's in the dining room. And, you know, over the years, they've just gotten cracked and, you know, this and that, and, and the kids have been rough on them with toys, and I thought, oh, it would can't be that hard to replace those little strips. And about a year ago, the one that went between the dining room and the kitchen uh, got broken. Something got snagged on it and actually cracked. And Rick came and fixed it, and he just popped it right out, went to the store, got a new one, cut it right back in. And I thought, he, it was so easy. There's no sense in bugging Rick about it. And, you know, and it, there's just, I won't even mess with that. And so I thought, one of these days, I'm just going to do it. And so I had that, you know, that day when you're just like, I've been staring at this for a while. Today's the day. And so I... Uh, start to pry up the old uh, little strip there, trim strip, and what I did not realize is that those apparently were made of paper mache and designed to crumble to pieces the second somebody tried to remove them, and so as I'm removing them, it's just coming apart in pieces, and you know, there's two doorways, both about three foot wide, and I ended up with one piece intact that was about this long, and so I'm 30 seconds into this project, I've already made a huge mess, and there's no going back. And so I take my little strip to the store, and they have one, one option to, for replacing these things. And I, okay, I guess this is my, my option. So I take that home, and I cut them right. And that's what I did right. Okay, by the way, I did cut them and measure properly, just so you don't think I'm a total buffoon as they tell this story. I did cut them right. And the way they go into the floor is on the bottom side of these little strips, there's a little... Uh, part that juts out, and there's a track that you screw into the floor in the gap between the laminate flooring and the carpet, and these just kind of click into the track, supposedly. And so uh, the track, I tried putting it in, and the track that was already there from the last set, and it didn't fit, so I thought, okay, the new set came with the track, so I take the old tracks out, put the new tracks in, and the first time I tried to push these things into the new track, I realized that the new ones are also made of paper mache, and they crumbled as soon as I hit push them into the track, and I thought, oh no, but I had a, enough extra, I thought, okay, I got another piece, but then I went to put that piece in, and I realized that the tracks had also folded in on themselves and ruined the track. And I did it for both doors. Everything's ruined. I'm, you know, I've got this project. I've lost money. I've lost time. I'm in a blind rage at this point because Rick did it and he made it look so easy. And so I've, I've lost self-respect, you know, as I'm doing this project. I feel like less of a man. My wife and kids are watching me fail epically at this project. And um, there's, it's still undone. That was like a month and a half ago, haven't done anything yet, and I realized that as I looked at it, that despite the money I've put in, the time I've put in, at some point, I'm going to have to start this project all over again, unless Rick wants to come and be the takeover as foreman, you know, for that. That's totally fine with that uh, at this point. Um, and here's the worst part of this whole story. I don't know what I did wrong. Not a clue. If I started all over again, I'd probably do the exact same thing because I have no idea where I got off track, so to speak, on this whole thing. And as funny as it is, you know, when it's a TV or when it's a home improvement project, what this series is about is that it's a little less funny when you have a situation like this kind of in your life where some area of your life kind of derails, something in your life kind of falls apart, 
and crumbles, and you've got to kind of hit the reset button. And yet all of us at some point will have a moment in our lives where we are going to have to step back from something, we're going to have to regroup, we're going to have to recover, and we're going to have to start over again. And this series is all about those times. And so whether you're talking about a job loss that was a major hit, whether you're talking about uh, maybe you're thinking about getting remarried, or maybe you've been in a string of bad relationships and you just can't seem to get out of that rut, whether it's losing a loved one, whatever this thing is that causes this season of life that you're in to kind of, uh, kind of hit the valley, hit a dip, and you've got to kind of hit the restart button on some area, that's what this series is about. And the hope of this series is simply this. I want to help you to keep next time from being like last time. The reason I just made that joke about Rick putting the trim in is because now I know he'll probably do it, and I won't have to, thus making next time not be like last time. That is the hope, and if he, if he wasn't going to do it before, he will now. Uh, you know? um, and so... <laughs> Uh, but that's the hope. You know, being a pastor, I have this, I, it's a privilege to, to kind of walk with a lot of people through the ups and downs of life. And I, at times, depending on the person and the situation, I get like an intimate peek into the details of various things that happen in, in your lives. And I've watched a lot of people whose lives were going okay and had something kind of fall apart. And they had to hit the restart button. And there's a lot of times where I get to watch this process, and it's double heartbreaking for me. The first heartbreak comes simply from watching somebody in pain. You know, watching anybody hurt, have a part of their life kind of fall apart, that's just painful in itself. But a second heartbreak comes when I see people who are getting ready to start over with life, and I see them making the same mistakes they made the first time around. I see them, it almost looks like they're intentionally trying to make next time be like last time. That is incredibly heartbreaking. And as I've seen this over and over and over again, I've started to feel like I have developed psychic abilities. Because I can now see somebody who is in pain because something in their life fell apart, and I can start to see the early signs. And I can know already, before they've even made the mistake, they're going to do it again. I can just tell. I know which way it's going. I know the way they're acting. I know the things they've, they're saying. I know it. They're going to do it again. They're going to make the same mistake again. And there's times where I feel psychic, and that's not the good kind of psychic. Like, why can't I know the lottery numbers or something like that? I don't want to know when someone's going to hurt themselves in the future. And sometimes they ask for my opinion, and sometimes they do not. And so I want to help keep next time from being like last time. Whatever your start over is going to be, I want to help it be different the next time around. And maybe you're in the middle of something, maybe you're uh, not in the middle of something, but maybe this sermon series is something that's not going to be applicable to you until a year from now, because that's when things are going to kind of, the wheels are going to fall off of something. I would just encourage you, pay attention to this, because I think at some point, every one of us is going to have something where things fall apart. And so, here's the thing, sometimes it'll be our fault, Okay, sometimes we kind of sabotage, sabotage ourselves. I've said this before, no one is a greater enemy to you than you. That's just the way it is. You will hurt relationships more than anyone else will hurt you in relationships. You will sabotage yourself at work, at home, more than anyone will hurt you. Sometimes, though, it's not necessarily your fault, okay? Maybe the boss just didn't like you and trying to kind of tried to push you out of work, and now you're just kind of wondering what to do with life and how is this all going to work out? Okay, so maybe it's not your fault, but either way, when you're in the middle of a situation where you need to start over, that's all you. 
The responsibility is on you to pick up whatever pieces, to play the hand that you have been dealt. And so you can sit there passing blame, whining and moaning that it's someone else's fault and they've ruined your life, or you can think, I have the ability to stand up, to to follow God's commands, and live my life in such a way that maybe I can keep next time from being like last time. And so as much as you might want to go, this is for somebody else. I wish such and such was here. I would just encourage you to take that little attitude and kind of check it at the door for just a little bit while we go through this series and wonder how this might be helpful for you or maybe something you file away for future use. Now, one of the reasons why I think so many people repeat the mistakes of their past is because I think we are believing a couple of really bad assumptions about life and about ourselves. Um, Assumptions are just those places where we jump to a conclusion that may or may not be true. And when you have bad assumptions, what you're doing is you are then going into life making decisions with bad information. Okay, You're going out into life making decisions with bad information. I do this almost every morning trying to get my kids ready for school. I Every morning, I assume that if I just time it right, we're going to get out the door on time. And I underestimate their ability to procrastinate and drag their feet and to whine and groan and throw a fit and to forget everything that they need for school every day and have to go back. I forget. I I just assume this is going to go smoothly. Everything this morning is going to go like I planned, and I do it every single day like an idiot, and and it never goes well, and we're almost always late for school because I don't learn, okay? But in that moment, I have the responsibility to help things be better than last time. And so if you make a bad assumption about something, you're going to make poor decisions on bad information. So I want to give you two myths this morning, two bad assumptions that we are making about our lives and about uh, ourselves that will really hinder our ability to keep next time from being like last time. Here's the first myth. Since I know better, I'll do better. If you've had life kind of crash and burn for something you did, you think, well, Lesson learned. Never going to do that again. Uh, And now that I've gone through that, I know where all the the potholes are, and I know exactly how to avoid doing that over again. Well, the problem is that that's not necessarily true. Just because you've gone through something once doesn't mean you have gained all of the knowledge and all of the skill to avoid it again. That is not necessarily true. Experience does not automatically make you wiser. Andy Stanley says that experience makes you older, it makes you tired, it makes you poorer, it can make you angry, but it does not make you any wiser automatically. And you know, even if you've been there and you've seen how things have gone poorly, that doesn't make you immune automatically to repeating your mistakes, okay? If, if knowing better automatically meant doing better, then why would anybody who has ever been an alcoholic fall off the wagon. Nobody knows more clearly than they do about how drinking stole a lot of good things from their life. Nobody is more aware that that their addiction to a, a substance has robbed them of good years. Nobody is more aware of that stuff. And they even know that one drink could drive them exactly back down that path that they've been on. And yet a lot of them do it all the time. A lot of alcoholics, a lot of addicts in general fall back into that old pattern, and that would not happen if knowing better automatically meant doing better. Head knowledge does not mean that you will have the ability to live differently when you are presented with similar circumstances. 
And I think the problem, though, that we have to understand when, our, when it comes to reliving life and, and reliving circumstances, maybe that we've been there before, you've got to understand that the biggest enemy to you is you. I've already said that. I say it all the time. Your biggest enemy is you. The problem with since I know better, I'll do better, is that since I know better, I don't need to listen to anybody else. Because you haven't been where I've been. You haven't walked in my shoes. You haven't lived my life, and therefore, you don't have anything to say to me. This is why most of us frustrated the goodness out of our parents when we were teenagers. I mean, a lot of us in this room, we had good, loving parents when we were growing up, and they tried. They tried to give us good advice. They tried to save us headaches and heartaches and all that stuff. And what did we do? We said to them in the most smug way we could, I know, Mom. I know, Dad. And they just kept saying it over and over and over again. And every time you got more and more annoyed because you thought, I'm an adult now. I'm 15. You don't need to tell me what to do. You know, I got this figured out. I've got this all covered. I know better, so therefore I'll do better. But your mom and dad knew that that wasn't true. And so they told you over and over and over again, hopefully trying to drive it past your brain and into your behavior. Because we thought, I know better. Therefore, I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. In the book of Proverbs, we find a, a person that is described, a hypothetical person that is described as you read through the 31 chapters of that book, and it's a person that is called the fool. And nobody wants to think that they're a fool, okay? You're automatically going to, again, think, I know somebody who is, though. I know a fool, and I, my boss is a fool. I wish my boss was here to hear this. I wish my youngest kid was here to hear this, because he's kind of a fool. Uh, you're going to think of somebody. But check that at the door, and just wonder maybe if at times you don't live your life in a foolish manner. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of fools seems right to them. I know, Mom. I got it. You don't have to tell me over and over again. But the wise listen to advice. And I don't know if, you know, when you're in pain, when you hit that, that moment when you're in a valley and it, and it hurts, sometimes you're embarrassed by the mistakes that you've made. And when, when you open yourself up to someone telling you maybe how to get out of that, you're admitting, I was a fool. You're admitting, I did foolish things. You're admitting, I made mistakes. And that can be embarrassing, and our pride oftentimes doesn't let us listen to that maybe. But fools are the ones who don't listen to anybody. The fools always assume, I got this. I know better. I know better. But the wise listen to advice. Another verse on fools, and I can't help but think that maybe they're not a little bit connected. And I've read this. This is one of my favorite Proverbs. I give it to you several times a year. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Because when you never listen to anybody, when you never take advice, you never learn, and you do the same things over and over and over again. Because knowing better doesn't equal doing better. And maybe you're still not convinced, and you're thinking, Anthony, I'm not a fool, and I'm a little offended that you maybe assumed that I was. So let's do a little exercise here to illustrate this point, that knowing better doesn't equal doing better. This is a game we all got to play, okay? It's a hand-raising type of thing. Raise your hand if you know that when you drive over the posted speed limit, you can get a ticket. How many of you know that? Okay? Everybody. No, keep them up. Keep them up. We're Just about everybody who's ever driven a car has gotten a speeding ticket. Now, here, keep your hand up if you have ever gotten more than one speeding ticket. Yeah, lots of you, lots of you, about half the room, okay? But didn't you know better? I mean, you got taught it in driver's ed class, mom and dad told you about it, and then you learned about it when that police officer pulled you over the first time and gave you a ticket. And so you know, and maybe you said, Anthony, it wasn't my fault. I didn't know I was going to get behind that tractor on the way to work. I didn't know I was going to be late and I had to be in a hurry and my boss was already mad. I had to hurry. It's not my fault, Anthony. 
you know. So it wasn't, wasn't it, you know. Okay, it was only going a mile over the speed limit, and that jerk cop gave me a ticket for going a mile over the speed limit. But isn't the law, doesn't it say, if you're going over the speed limit by 30 miles an hour, by one mile an hour, they have the right to give you a ticket. And we all know that, and yet many of us have made that same mistake over and over again. And you wouldn't call yourself an idiot, you wouldn't call yourself a fool, but it does prove the point that knowing better doesn't always equal doing better. That is just a simple truth of life that we have got to get over. And when we assume that, it puts us in the role of the fool where we are putting off advice, putting off help that God might have placed around us. People who are trying to advise us, guide us, teach us, disciple us so that we are not only have the wisdom to avoid what repeating our mistakes, but we might also have the character the godly, Christ-like character to avoid making the same bad choices again. Myth number two, and this one, it hurts me. Time is my enemy. Do you know many people, when they're in pain, they just assume time is, is not on their side. They assume time is against them. And I hear people say stuff like, well, I'm not getting any younger. You know, I can hear the clock ticking away. Or they'll say stuff like, well, all my friends are already here, or I never thought I'd go through this part. I'm 30 now, and I'm already having to hit the reset button. I don't want to, uh, time is, is ticking by. Time is passing me by. I can't just sit here. And I think part of it is when we have that moment where we're in pain, that season where things kind of fall apart or something goes wrong, and we are in pain, nobody wants to camp out there. And we think, if I can just hit the fast-forward button and skip through this season, everything would be better. If I can just move past this season and never look back, everything would be better. But yet, maybe, just maybe, in that valley is the lesson God has for you or something God is going to do in you, shaping you, so that you never circle back and make that mistake and end up in that same valley ever again. Uh, in Proverbs 19.2. It says, desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? Uh, in the original language, uh, Hebrew, that this was written in, the word knowledge also means the, uh, perspective. So desire without perspective is not good. And when you are in a season of pain, you have the desire to get out of that pain. But oftentimes, when your emotions are cranked up to 11, you don't have the perspective to properly choose the right path. Uh, that's just one thing that's the nature of emotions. Emotions cloud your judgment. This is why you always can look at someone else's life and go, why are they doing that? You always know how somebody else should raise their kids, don't you? But when it's your kids, how many of you thought, how many of you had seasons? How many of you parents ever had a season where you thought, I have no idea what to do with these kids? Am I the only one? My kids are five and three. That should be easy. And there's times it's like, I'm failing. I don't know what to do. They're going to end up as convicts already because I'm failing as a father, right? But I look at, but, I, but if I'm at the store and see some other kid throwing a fit, I'm like, those parents, I know what they need to do. I know how they need to handle that. But when I'm at the store with my kid throwing a fit, it's like, oh my gosh, get out of here, you know? <laughs> so we always know how other people should react. But, but oftentimes we get into our life and there's emotional consequences. There's emotional baggage with everything in our life. And it clouds our ability to see straight. It clouds our ability to look straight. And when we start charging ahead in life without any perspective, that is going to cause us to oftentimes miss the right way to proceed, the right way to go forward and to not have to live, uh, take the wrong path so that we end up circling back exactly where we've been. 
That's why I often tell people who are in some sort of big negative season of life, if they'll ask me, not everybody asks my opinion, and that's fine. They should because I'm right. Uh, but that's sarcasm, by the way. Uh, not always right. Ask my wife. Uh, if anybody asks my opinion and they're in a tough season, I will say, take a year. Take a year and heal before you do anything major with your life. Now, that doesn't always work. Like, if, if you lost a job and you need to replace your income, if your career kind of fell apart in your hands or something, or you started a business that you thought was going to really take off and it didn't, and you kind of invested everything in it and your life's a mess, obviously your income needs to be returned, so this doesn't always apply, okay? Don't take a year and think about it, okay? Maybe get food on the table and that kind of thing. Um, but if someone went through a divorce, I often say, take a year off from dating. You need to heal. Because oftentimes what I've seen is um, when that relationship falls apart, there's feelings of I'm a failure, I'm unlovable, and the fastest way to feel lovable is to find somebody else who will love you, who will invest in you. And I've seen people rush out of a marriage, brokenhearted, into something new without ever taking the time to fully heal their heart so that they can make a proper choice moving forward with their life. If somebody, <coughs> excuse me, loses a loved one, I often will tell them, take a year before you make any big, major decisions. Because when, when things like that happen, you want to either sell something, move somewhere, change everything, because you're hurting and your body wants to get rid of all that hurt. Your mind wants to get rid of all that hurt and you want to distract yourself from the pain and you don't want to sit and feel it. But you often, I've seen so many times people make decisions later that they regret because they made it in a moment when they did not have perspective to see clearly. So take a year. I think that's a great starting point. And during that year, invite someone into your life that you trust and say, I give you the permission to tell me to stop, to pause on anything you think I'm doing that is a mistake. Because I acknowledge that maybe I don't have the perspective. And here's the thing. When that time comes, you're going to think you see clearly. You're going to think you know what to do. That's why if this isn't your season now, file this away because when you're in the middle of heartbreak, you're not going to be able to see exactly what you should do. And so when you have to hit the reset button on your life and you get into this super big hurry, oftentimes what you are doing is you are removing God's ability to work in your life in a very pivotal season. It's a painful season. It's one you might never want to go through again. It's one you might never wish on your worst enemy. But after you go through it, you might say, wait, you know, it wasn't fun. But God did something in me in this that I'm not sure he could have done any other way. And so when you rush and you ignore people and you put them out, you're often just asking yourself to make next time exactly like last time. And so if you can just be willing to hit the pause button, breathe, and let God work, invite God into your pain, it will often, you will often allow him to shape you and prepare you for what's next so that you don't re repeat the mistakes of your past. Um, again, I think nobody ever wants to think it's their fault. Um, you know, I've, I've heard people say, why are, why are all guys jerks? I date a guy and he treats me like a jerk. Why, why are all guys jerks? And I've heard loving people come alongside them and say, honey, all guys aren't jerks. All the guys you date are jerks. <laughs> it's not guys. It's the guys you're picking that are jerks. You need to get a, to be a better picker, you know, and, and I've seen that happen before, and, and 
you lose that perspective when you get stuck in that rut, and we need people to come alongside of us and help us break us out. That is, I think, why God puts people around us. Um, and in, in the, uh, the book of Romans, it's actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church, um, but we call it the book of Romans. He's talking about in this one section in chapter 8, he's talking about the brokenness of the world, the brokenness and the failures of us as human beings, all the, the things that are wrong with the world. And he says this one very powerful statement that I'm sure many of you have heard before in Romans 8, 28. He says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He says, we know that God works in all things, meaning not just the good moments. And see, we kind of forget that. We kind of forget that God can work in the painful moments because we just want to get out of the painful moments. But there is a trust that must be in our lives to trust that even in the pain, God can show up and do something powerfully in us. And it might not be fun, and I'm not even saying God caused that painful moment. I'm just saying if we're willing, God can use it. And we know, we know we've got to be confident that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And there are many examples of this in Scripture that I could go to. Um, the best one is in the New Testament with the guy who wrote that passage right there, Paul. Uh, Paul, he had a round two, a round one, excuse me, and a round two of his life with a little downtime in the middle. Uh, Paul was a Jewish priest and very devout servant of God. He he believed in worshiping God according to the traditions of the Jewish law, and um, then this new thing called Christianity pops up. And he sees all these people who are leading people astray from this way of worshiping God that has been existing for centuries. And so Paul, he gets permission to go around and start arresting Christians. And at times, we even see him kind of encouraging Christians to be murdered by the bystanders that are uh, also kind of on his side. And so Paul facilitates the murder of Christians and throws a lot of Christians in jail. And then Jesus shows up, a, a Jesus who has already died and resurrected and ascended into heaven. Jesus shows up to Paul and says, Paul, you got it backwards. And Paul is crushed by his mistakes. He is crushed by the fact that he missed God working so powerfully at first and that he took God's servants and put them to death or at least encouraged to have them put to death. And he is broken. And you see that immediately in the story. Paul is broken. He doesn't eat for days. And then you, you kind of read the rest of the story of Paul's life. And Paul ultimately had years of downtime. It was years between Paul putting Christians to death and years before God finally called Paul to go and be a missionary to plant churches all over the Mediterranean rim, all over the known world. And, and Paul is the reason why you and I are Christians today. He is like the main facilitator for the gospel to be spread in the Roman world that got Christianity off its feet in the early days. God used Paul powerfully in his round two, but there was some serious downtime, some serious learning, and some serious healing that had to take place between round one and round two. And so sometimes God is going to do that in your life. God is going to need you to stop. Hit pause before you start over. Do not underestimate God's power. And in the coming weeks, what we're going to look at is how do we actually take steps when we start over. But today, we've got to kill those two myths that knowing better means doing better. It doesn't. Some, I got stories. Some of them I've told. I don't want to tell them again. Some I'm, I'm still embarrassed, and I haven't worked up the courage to use them in a sermon yet. But I got stories of repeating my stupidity over and over again, and some of you do too. So we know that that's not true. And the other myth that time is your enemy, when in fact time is your friend. It is time, valuable time that God can use to grow you, change you, 
and help you to keep next time from being like last time. So when something falls apart and you've got to hit the, the restart button and start over your life, don't take matters into your own hands. Stop. Trust the people God has placed in your life and trust your heavenly Father to heal you and guide you in the midst of that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time where we are uh, tackling this tough topic of, of when our lives hit uh, a, a tough spot, when we're at a crossroads, when things fall apart, whether it was our fault or not, but when we're faced with the prospect of rebuilding a, a life that uh, has fallen apart in some way. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to start over well. You would help us to look to Scripture, to, to be mature believers, to trust you in faith, even in the painful seasons, so that we can avoid repeating our mistakes that, that got us there the first time. And so, Father, I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for being a God of second chances. If there is anything that you are a God of, it is a God of second chances, and third and fourth and fiftieth sometimes, because we're sometimes a little bit obstinate. And yet, with each time we go astray from you, you meet us with grace. Each time the brokenness of the world pries itself into our day-to-day -day lives, you come with compassion and healing and mercy. And so, Father, we thank you for your powerful love for us. We thank you for the powerful ways that you work in our lives, in good seasons and in bad. We thank you for compassion when we fail, and we thank you for healing when we're broken. You're so good, and I pray that we trust you in those tough moments and tough seasons. We pray all this in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen.